0: Welcome everybody to the latest episode of Media Sandwich, a podcast where we take a look at uh, pop culture and the news that's going on around the entertainment industries that we love so much, and uh, maybe sometimes decide if whether or not it's all just way too gross for us to pay this much attention to. At least that's how it feels this week. But I'm Kyle Martinak, I'm the guy who will be ferrying you across this river Styx that is the pop culture headlines, and... We'll get right into it with uh, where we usually get into It's the video games. We always do the video games first. Why? Because, well, <laughs> sometimes the news in video games is not cool. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it is, though. We've got some cool and some not so cool news going on here. Well, uh, you know, it's a, it's a mixed bag. Let's uh, start with the big thing that happened in video games this last week. The Game Awards. I... Will not be talking about the game awards. Uh, listen, I think at this point that the Academy Awards are bullshit, industry self-congratulation, wankery, and I'm a movie guy, so there's no way I can take video game awards seriously. I'm sorry, uh, they are. It's such an incestuous pit of corporate fuckery that I, I'm just not going to indulge in it. The game awards. Every video game award ceremony in the last fifteen or twenty years, none of them have ever become anything big. Uh, they've never they've never crossed over into mainstream awareness. Uh, like and and I don't think they ever will because of that incestuous nature. So I'm just I'm not even going to deal with it. Uh, yeah, but something that did happen during the awards. Now this is actually news. Uh, Supergiant Games announced that Hades 2 is on the way! Blah! Hades 2! I mean, the company has something of, like, a no-sequels policy, so this was actually an honest-to-goodness surprise. Even though Hades was such a huge critical and commercial success for them, uh, in 2020 when it released, and in 2021 when that release, uh... Expanded to other platforms, but but uh, this new game, Hades 2, is going to be all about Zagreus's sister, Melanoi, who, unlike the first game's protagonist, is uh, descending into the underworld. Not not ascending from, but descending into the underworld in order to free their father, Hades, from bondage and fight their grandfather, Grandpappy Kronos, the uh, Titan of Time. That guy. Uh, she's actually, she's not a made up character, much like Zagreus, she is kind of an obscure character from Greek mythology, so they're they're continuing, Supergiant is continuing to take all of the the family messiness, the very, uh, yeah, the, 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 the very uh, soap opera-y shit that went on in Greek mythology and use it for this game franchise, which I think is very cool. Also featured in this game is going to be a couple of uh, allies for her, for Melanoi, and that's uh, Nemesis, the Greek goddess of revenge, who is probably, I'm predicting now, this is me throwing the gauntlet down, Nemesis is going to dethrone the giant vampire lady from Resident Evil as video games' most desired giant woman. That's my prediction. Uh, People will be thirsty for Nemesis pretty soon instead of the giant vampire lady. But uh, the other uh, ally character is Moros, the god of doom, uh, who, among other things, uh, he historically had the ability in Greek mythology to give people a glimpse of their own deaths, which makes sense for the god of doom. Uh, Yeah, can't imagine how that would be useful in a roguelike where dying over and over again isn't just inevitable. It's also essential to the story and the character development. So, yeah, Hades too. Man, I didn't think I'd ever hear that. I'm sold as hell. I'm in. No release date as of yet, of course. Uh, very early days, but I'm pretty sure it will be one of the big games of whichever year we end up getting it. Uh, I'm stoked. I loved Hades. And, uh, yeah, now I want to go back and play Hades some more. Uh, I didn't actually finish it because I'm terrible at actually finishing games so yeah that's now i have until the second one comes out to finish the first one thing is i'm not good at games and that's why i can't finish something like hades all that easily uh because i never get better i just do the same thing over and over again until i get bored but yeah that's good that's the good that's the good news uh another thing we should talk about since it happened this last week Uh, I talked a couple episodes back about Microsoft trying to buy Activision Blizzard and how it's facing probes by government bodies, government watchdogs, trade commissions in the UK and the EU. And now here in the US, uh, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission in the US, has joined the party. And Sony is really fighting the acquisition. Their rationale being that it'll negatively affect their console sales But the really big nit on this for everybody seems to be Microsoft owning the Call of Duty franchise. We talked about that. Sony is worried their competitor will make the Call of Duty franchise an Xbox exclusive. And I mean, it's the highest selling video game every year that we have one, right? Including this year, uh, Modern Warfare two sold, uh, you know, something ridiculous, like 150 million units or something like that. Um, well, Microsoft seems to be trying to prove that that's not the case, because just like uh, like just a, a couple of days back, they inked a deal to bring the Call of Duty franchise back to Nintendo. Weird. Uh, yeah, it's a 10-year deal that they signed, and the head of Xbox, Phil Spencer, he went even further stating that they were committed to also providing the game to Steam, which they're going to do, and he said, anytime Sony wants to sit down and talk, we'll be happy to hammer out a 10-year deal for PlayStation as well. Um, wow. That seems like a really big gesture on their part, a really big... It, on paper, it looks like a really big olive branch, considering that previously Microsoft came to the table with Sony and offered them a three-year contract for Call of Duty for down the line when the current contract that they have for PlayStation expires. And Sony called that deal wholly inadequate. Uh, They walked away from the table. I don't think they can do that this time. Um, They're running out of arguments, Sony, for why that that acquisition legally shouldn't be able to take place. Uh, But ultimately, after the UK and the EU have launched inquiries about this acquisition, like I said, the FTC here in the United States also filed an antitrust lawsuit uh, to block that acquisition of Activision Blizzard. but their major sticking point oddly enough, not Call of Duty uh, not uh, not you know the, the the bigger bigger games of uh, every year that come out, but actually Bethesda's new space set RPG Starfield if you haven't heard about this game, it was announced. Uh, back in like summer of 2021, they announced it and they announced it at the time. Hey, look, this is going to be an Xbox exclusive, much to the rage of PlayStation owners who were like, what the hell? Um, and they, and the announcement came like with it couched in like, yeah, we know this is disappointing for PlayStation fans, but look, this is just going to happen this way. Um, getting lost in the shuffle though, uh, of the business aspects of all this news, Call of Duty. On Nintendo. What, uh... What's that gonna look like? Honestly. Because the Switch probably won't handle that game the same way that next-gen Sony and Microsoft consoles do. There's just no way. It's not the same horsepower. If this is a long game thing, this 10-year contract, is. are we talking this is gonna be in Nintendo's back pocket for their next machine? Um because rumblings about a Switch Pro or a new device altogether have been kind of rumbling around for a while. Uh, Totally unsubstantiated rumors, right? But, you know, people are forecasting online that 2024 might be the soonest we see a new Nintendo system. Something with a little more horsepower that can catch up to the other two uh, competitors. So maybe it's that. Other than that, the only other thing that I can think of is that you know, uh, they would put it on the Switch as a cloud streaming game like they did with Resident Evil Village or with the Hitman Trilogy, and that sucks. I really hope that that's not the case because that cloud streaming, it is not proven technology yet. That uh, I tried the Hitman Trilogy on the Switch and it was pretty much unplayable for me, but that's just me. This, all, this continued hissy fit between Microsoft and Sony over Activision Blizzard, it gets grosser with each new headline, and uh, now they're dragging Nintendo into this. Nintendo's being used as like a proxy in this weird Cold War, and uh, I don't like that, not one bit, but it's got me thinking about what Nintendo's got up their sleeve for later down the road. If they plan on having, co- I mean, here's the thing. Call of Duty, you might buy Call of Duty if the Switch is your only device, or if you're like me and you're still operating on, like, two generations ago, I've got an Xbox One vanilla, like the original Xbox One, and then I've got a Switch, and that's all I've got. Like I've said, at some point, I might actually jump jump into the next generation. It won't be for Call of Duty, so... If the question becomes like, well, if I, if I, Kyle with my two devices, if I want to play Call of Duty, would I pay for it on the switch or would I, if it's still offered on the Xbox one, would I buy that? Or would I have to break down and go for the next generation? Uh, with those as my three options, I mean, I would probably buy it on the Xbox one. If it's only offered on the new generation, Or the Switch with this 10-year deal, uh, if it's offered as cloud streaming, I'm probably just skipping. Honestly, there's no way that I'm going to deal with that crap. So, I don't know. I don't think that this is viable unless we're talking about the next generation of Nintendo devices, which, if that's what we're talking about... Well, damn it, because uh, my Switch collection's already j- just now getting to the point where I'm really getting my money's worth out of this device. But that's me. I'm an old man with not a lot of money, and I uh, I have no patience for how quick the uh, the turnaround time on these console generations are anymore. It sickens me how fast we left the PlayStation Four and the Xbox One before we started scheming for the next bite of the apple so yeah uh that's the bad that's kind of i mean it's it's not terribly bad it's good for nintendo users who want to try to play call of duty on the switch if that's possible uh other than that i mean i I guess the other only other thing is maybe it's basically a port of call of duty mobile that would be on the switch right that might be the the other way they go about it those are my only uh, my only angles at it, and no matter what, it just doesn't sound terribly appealing. And I like Call of Duty, fine. I really enjoyed the Modern Warfare trilogy, the old one. Uh, I would get into the new games if I could keep up with how fast they crank them out, but I'm also, like I've mentioned in previous episodes, I'm a single-player campaign guy, so if you don't have a significant single-player campaign, I'm not shelling out 70 bucks for your game. Screw you. I'm not an online guy. I'm just not. Uh, there's <laughs> a lot of vitriol there. Uh, but Hey, let's shift out of video games and shift into movies. Make me feel a whole lot better, right? Cause I'm the movie guy. I love movies. I love the movie industry sometimes. So what, so what is going on in the movie industry this week? Not a lot, not a lot going on in cinemas, at least pretty much we're, we're hitting the lull right before Avatar The Way of Water is expected to, like, blow the doors off cinemas, right? So, even though it's mid-December, for whatever reason, the box office is looking more like a really stagnant January right now. We've got holdover, you know, Christmas movies. We've got holdover uh, comic book movies from the holiday season and whatnot, which is all almost already over, which is nuts. Um, but not a whole lot of money for anything, really. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever claws onto that number one spot yet again with 11 million in its fifth week, which is really respectable. And I think that brings it up to like 400 million domestic, which is pretty damn good. Uh, worldwide, it's probably expected to do pretty boffo box office, as the old uh, headlines used to say. But coming in behind it, uh, Violent Night, the S- Santa Die Hard movie which looks like a lot of fun i really wish i could go see it but uh you know broken foot can't take the kids it's one that i would go see by myself uh if if i was a little more mobile but that one took in eight million so that's doing fine that one looks like it's a much smaller production than you know a big disney thing speaking of big disney things poor strange world Oh, Poor Strange World we talked about a couple weeks ago pulled down 3 million more this week putting it at like 30 million total domestic. Eesh. That's a big flop. Uh The one thing that I found very amusing about the box office numbers this week, Ticket to Paradise. That George Clooney, Julia Roberts divorced parents go to Bali movie. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Very famous actors get to have kind of a working vacation movie. <laughs> um, that's still in the top 10. It was at number 10 this last week with like $600,000 uh, because it's been out since early November. Uh, and that puts it at 67 million total gross domestic, which isn't too bad for like a romantic comedy. It's at 165 million worldwide. Because it's two very big stars that are recognized around the world, uh, and they're above the title in a romantic comedy. So that movie's doing well even on the other side of the planet, like China. Um, And it's like a $60 million budget comedy. So that's a pretty respectable hit worldwide. It's, you know, it's breaking even domestically. It, It made its money back, but the really funny thing about it being in the top 10 still this week is that it's been streaming on Peacock for like a month now and it still made $600,000 this last weekend in movie theaters. Who's going to see it? Did my grandma go see this movie 10 times on the big screen in the last five days did yours or am I just the only schmuck who uses Peacock and everybody actually showed up for this movie? Um, I think it's doing a lot better than the uh, Sandra Bullock romantic comedy, the one where she's the romance author uh, that came out a couple months back. I think this one's doing better than that one, which makes sense. It's people love that Julia Roberts. They love that George Clooney. Um, I can't imagine how those two are still opening a movie uh, around the holiday season that's doing as well enough that it's still in the top 10. But granted, like we said, it's a top 10 of a very, very stagnant mid-December. Probably the most stagnant mid-December we've seen, I mean, since 2020, probably, right? Which isn't saying much, it's 2022. But, hey, we've got Avatar coming this week, and that's probably going to be a big blood transfusion for the box office numbers of not just Avatar, but for other movies Uh, There's probably a lot of other stuff coming out uh, against it as counter-programming. Nothing comes to mind. (laughs) I can't think of any other movie that's coming out this week because nobody wanted to come up against Avatar. But anyways, um, yeah, that's it for current movie news. Uh, I did want to say... This episode is starting to turn into a list of things that I don't want to talk about this week, namely awards shows. The Golden Globe nominees came out this week, and I just can't be roused. I can't be bothered. The Golden Globes might be the awards that mean the least to me. I would probably rather talk about the Game Awards, because the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is a toilet, or maybe more appropriately, it's a bidet filled with scum, Uh, can't handle them. So, uh, we're not going to get into that. Don't really care. But the other thing that has been really big in the headlines this last week, especially on the nerdier side of the pop culture news, and I've been covering it for the last month and change, James Gunn and Peter Safran taking over the DC cinematic universe. And I think I've finally gotten to a point where I'm done reading about it and I'm done talking about it on the podcast for a while. Uh, Because people have gotten really goofy and weird and parasocial about it so quickly. There was a big cumulus cloud of headlines surrounding Gunn's plans this last week. The biggest and loudest thing being that reportedly Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman 3 probably dead. Probably not going forward. Uh, She did turn in a treatment for it this week. And that was possibly the, uh, the trigger for them to say we're not moving forward with it because of the plans that Gunn is shaping at the moment. But from a business point of view, this doesn't really surprise me all that much. Take out James Gunn and Peter Safran and their very sudden takeover of where these movies are going creatively. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984, while yes, certainly, uh, financially, it was undercut by the pandemic before it even left the starting blocks. But it was kind of an embarrassment for them critically, too. Uh, The first Wonder Woman was, like, the one objective feather in DC's cap for a couple years. Like, you could make arguments that Aquaman's not a very good movie. You definitely can argue against the Batman v Superman in the Justice League. Uh, You definitely, you know, I mean, people did not show up for Shazam, even though I think that that might honestly be the best of the snyder era dc movies even though it has nothing to do with the snyder movies uh but wonder woman was like the one that was critically appreciated commercially it did very well and the much anticipated sequel 1984 was one of those one of those comic book sequels you know what i mean like very much like uh like a X x-men the last stand uh spider-man 3 uh, just very uh, overstuffed, underwritten, looks very expensive, but not in a good way. And uh, this third one that Patty Jenkins was ramping up for, it was going to get insanely expensive. Gal Gadot was supposed to make like $20 million on it. Patty Jenkins herself was supposed to make like $12 million, And that's before you even get started on how much the movie costs. So I'm not terribly surprised that they would, from a cost-cutting perspective, say, you know... We don't really need that one. The last one didn't do very well. People didn't like it. It's not going to be a well-remembered movie. Why don't we cut our losses with Wonder Woman as a standalone character and focus on wrapping everybody into our new plans? And uh, yeah, I'm not surprised by that. The other rumors, though, get really wacky. Uh, They just announced, uh, well, I I say they just announced. Let me roll that back unsubstantiated rumors have rolled around that Man of Steel 2, which was suddenly being fast-tracked because of a returning Henry Cavill, uh, might get the axe as well. There might be no Man of Steel 2, no standalone Superman sequel for Henry Cavill, right after all the hoopla about him quitting The Witcher, presumably to sign a new contract to play Superman, and that would take up all of his time for the next couple of years. And that's after he showed up in Black Adam. Uh, Black Adam's another rumor. The whole Black Adam being the pivot point of the meta franchise and all of that stuff that Dwayne Johnson really wanted us to believe and nobody really did. uh, Also rumored to be scrapped. And the, the, the sequel to Black Adam probably scrapped because it was a bit of a dud, regardless of what The Rock says about it financially he came out very very adamantly no this movie's a hit and let me show you the receipts and everybody's like dude we don't give a shit it the movie it's a movie that's going to be forgotten instantly it's not a memorable movie of the year it's not black panther wakanda forever uh and it was a dud so the sequel to it might be dead um there's also, this was a re- the one that really got me going, all right, you know, I threw up my hands when I heard this one because it sounds stupid. There's also this notion that Jason Momoa's Aquaman will not return after his standalone sequel that's coming soon, and instead Momoa will hang around DC to play intergalactic bounty hunter Lobo. Now, I love Lobo as a character. That's very cool to me. But uh, this has a grain of truth because Momoa... Uh, I'm pretty sure they reported that he'll be voicing Lobo in an animated project, but this crap about, like, oh, he's not going to be Aquaman anymore, but now he's going to be live-action Lobo, Ugh, this is where I finally said, okay, this is all bullshit, this is all rumors, totally unsubstantiated, and some of them might be dead on, like scrapping Black Adam sequel and his place as possibly the big antagonist of the DC universe that might be scrapped because James Gunn is coming in and making new plans and the whole need to pivot the DC movies away from Snyderverse and towards whatever we've got on the block right now, namely Black Adam, those plans are probably withering away in lieu of what James Gunn is doing. Uh, so that one might be dead on. Uh, some of them might be total horseshit, mostly that Lobo one, struck me as total horseshit. If there's one thing that absolutely kills me about all of this, though, it's that when you dive into the comments and the replies, you see James Gunn, people came at him like, holy shit, dude, you're killing Wonder Woman 3, and even though Henry's coming back, you're killing Man of Steel 2, and what are you doing, man? James Gunn, you know, understandably had to defend himself and was like, hey, Superman is totally a priority, to my plans, why wouldn't he be? He's Superman, and Henry is going to be in that. He signed a contract recently, he's gonna be Superman, we're doing Superman stuff, don't worry about it. And then I made the mistake of looking in the replies and the comments uh, to that statement, that perfectly understandable statement. So many Snyderverse please. James, please fulfill the vision that Zack engineered. Please restore the Snyderverse. Please keep Gal and Henry and Ben Affleck as our Trinity. Please, sir, please fulfill the prophecy handed down by our patron saint and savior. And I don't mean to be mean, but weirdos. You're all weirdos. I bear no grudge against anyone for being into those movies, for being fans of that version of DC that Snyder was noodling around with for a couple of years. Whatever, it's okay to like a movie. But if you're in James Gunn's replies trying to get him to roll back time like he's Doctor Strange with the friggin' green stone and prevent all of that stuff from going totally pear-shaped, which it did, you're objectively a weirdo. That's not how it works. It's over. If I can accept that 30 years of Star Wars novels and comics are no longer canon and that Rise of Skywalker is canon... Look, you can accept that Zack Snyder's DC Universe is probably getting retooled or tweaked or maybe even outright paved over for something new. It happens. Get a life. Anyway, (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to start talking about James Gunn's DC Universe until we have some concrete announcements from him, from Peter Safran, from somebody who actually has something to say about it. Right now, they don't have anything to say about it because they're right in the middle of building it at the moment, and they don't want to tell us what's happening before they can really guarantee that it's going to happen so right now, I'll say say this much Um, uh, speculating about this stuff is getting kind of gross, I'll say that but I'll also say, Patty Jenkins is free to move on to her next project Uh, if if you've been watching this stuff she left her Cleopatra movie that she wanted to do, uh, which was also supposed to star Gal Gadot and she also left her Rogue Squadron movie, which I was super excited about. I like Patty Jenkins. I know that Wonder Woman 1984 rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, and people were like, oh, well, that's it. She's over with. Um, I, look, that movie got messed with, and then the pandemic messed with it some more. That movie was a mess, but I don't necessarily blame Patty Jenkins for that. And her her pitch on a Rogue Squadron movie basically being Top Gun in space uh, I liked it. I liked the idea. I liked her cornball, uh, her cornball introduction of it uh, during Star Wars Celebration a couple years ago, where she like stepped, you know, onto a runway wearing a flight gear and stuff, talking about how her dad was a fighter pilot or something like that. I liked it. I like cornball sometimes, and I have no problem with that. And I love Rogue Squadron. I love the books. I love the comics. I love the video games. So that sounded cool to me. But she walked away from it. Uh, presumably to do Wonder Woman 3. um, And since Wonder Woman 1984 is viewed as such an infraction on her record, look, I think this might be the op- the opportune time for Patty Jenkins to settle somewhere like Netflix or Amazon and develop a series. Or maybe, hey, Consolation Prize, give her something to do over at HBO Max. Or Max, I guess it's going to be called. That's another piece of news that got a little buried this week is that the merger of Discovery Plus and HBO Max is just going to be called Max. <laughs> okay, but getting off topic, uh, hey, give Patty Jenkins a consolation prize and let her develop a series on your streamer. It's not like you have a bunch of content that's not going anywhere. Let her do something. Um, have Hey, Netflix, have her do a Lara Croft Tomb Raider series. That's in her wheelhouse. That would work. Something to get that stank off of her. She... Patty Jenkins has been in a weird flux since the comic book movie industrial complex got a hold of her. She left uh, directing Game of Thrones episodes, and they nabbed her to do Thor The Dark World, and then she left that tumultuously, and then got picked up to do Wonder Woman, and... Now this is happening, she was gonna do a Star Wars, then she wasn't gonna do a Star Wars. She's one of those names that gets bounced around like a pinball so much, I would just love to see her get a chance to do something without shit like this intervening. And hey, look, not for nothing, my pie in the sky, I would love to see her retool her Rogue Squadron movie into maybe a limited series at Disney+. But I doubt it. I'm not that lucky, am I? Uh, anyway, yeah, I'm probably not going to talk about the the DC of it all for a while because the rumors are just free-floating hostility at this point and And there's still those weirdos who are like, Restore the Snyderverse! And it's like, it's over, dude. It's been over for five years now. Um, the problem was HBO Max and that damn Snyder cut of Justice League. That ruined reality. Uh, it ruined people's ability to pick up on reality. They were like, look, we did it. We made it happen. And yeah, you did. And that's the problem. Now you think you can make anything happen. Now you think that James Gunn can can hop in Doc Brown's DeLorean and go back to a point when Zack Snyder would still make those movies. He's not gonna anymore. I'm sorry. Go watch his zombie movies on Netflix. That's what he's doing now. That and some off-brand Star Wars movie that he wants to do at Netflix. Whatever that is. Rebel Planet, I think it's called, a Rebel Moon. Look out for that, Snyder fans. Uh, and I will too, I'll probably watch that because it sounds kind of up my alley. But, yeah, that stuff. Woof. Anyways, speaking of Netflix though. Guess who has another ill-advised live-action adaptation of a beloved anime coming soon to your screens? It's Netflix, because it always is. Um, uh, Joby Harold, a writer who uh, was a part of the writer's room for Obi-Wan Kenobi over at Disney, and also was a writer on Zack Snyder's aforementioned Army of the Dead, uh, is writing a live-action film version of My Hero Academia which will be directed by Shinsuke Sato in his English language debut. Uh, Never done anything uh, in English before. And hey, funny thing, uh, this is a peek behind the curtain for Media Sandwich listeners. I actually have a bonus episode of the podcast coming soon to you, wherein my buddy Gus, who's always been a gateway for me for anime and manga like, he's the one who knows all that stuff and kind of slips me something every now and again. He was the one who suggested, hey, your first anime should probably be Cowboy Bebop. And he was right. That's one of it's if not possibly my favorite anime because it's short and it's right in my wheelhouse. It's space bounty hunter stuff. It's exactly my kind of shit. Um, but he also got me when he, we were living together briefly during college. He got me into Gurren Lagann. Uh, he, uh, showed, showed me a bunch of stuff. He's famously the person who got me into Avatar, the last airbender. Uh, so that's the big, big one, big in my like top 10 IPs that I love the most. And Gus is the reason why, uh, we did a bonus episode where we went to the library and we basically, you know, put together stacks of, uh, stuff for each other to try recommendations for each other. Um, so that's coming soon, probably be, uh, sometime later this week. Um, but (laughs) funny enough, he does in fact, during this bonus episode, sell me on starting to watch My Hero Academia with my son. Um, I literally have Blu-rays from the library sitting next to me now, My Hero Academia season one and one of the feature length, uh, movies from the franchise, so here's more incentive Netflix uh is going to make a live action version. They actually bought the rights to this way way back in 2018. They purchased it from Legendary Entertainment. They of the uh Godzilla and Kong movies that are all somehow totally fine and yet never make it past being just fine. But <laughs> this is probably going to be a bit of a swing and a miss is my prediction. I mean I'm sorry I have to go with the odds. I'm not much of a gambler, and I have to go with the smart money. The smart money is that Netflix, I mean, they surprised me with their Sandman series. That turned out to be pretty good. But before that, you've got their Cowboy Bebop, and their Death Note movie, and their live-action Bleach movie. None of those really did the originals any justice, right? Like, very, very you know, the, the best you could say about the Cowboy Bebop show, very pretty to look at, very beautiful to look at, not much reason for it to exist, but just like all of those, um, I imagine that My Hero Academia, the live action movie, will drop on Netflix to very little fanfare, and it'll disappear into the content jungle within a week or two, and we'll never hear about it again, or any sequels will ever happen, no way, uh, But if you happen to be a super fan of My Hero Academia, you're a completionist, this could be a bit of fun for you to kind of see how they do it live action. Uh, yeah. Remember back in the day when, uh, like a live action big screen adaptation of your favorite cartoon or TV show was like a real big event? Like, remember when Steven Spielberg produced a friggin' Flintstones movie live action? Wasn't that nuts? Remember when they were talking about like, hey, look, a Scooby-Doo movie, but it's live action or for a hot second. They were like, we're going to do a Johnny Quest or something like that. Uh, And it kept and it kept going. I think Dragon Ball Evolution might have been the one that killed that for a lot of people. I know it kind of did for me. That was oof. I remember me, Chris Pranger, who you all know and love. And a group of uh, some, some of our friends, we sat in his college apartment and we did a double feature of ugh, the le- Street Fighter, the Legend of Chun-Li and then Dragon Ball Evolution. And we were so drained and depressed by the end of that double feature. We were just, oh man, this sucks so much. But funny enough, it made Dragon Ball Evolution look really good by comparison. Legend of Chun-Li might be one of the worst movies I've sat through in my entire life. It is not a movie. It is such garbage. And Dragon Ball Evolution looked good by comparison. I'm not lying. Um, But that wasn't good either. Yeah, so uh, My Hero Academia, uh, oddly enough, this news is kind of kismet with my uh, dipping my toe into the anime world and manga world. I'm also going to read some Bleach and and some One Piece manga. So, yeah. And speaking of manga, let's go to the uh, the adjacent topic of manga, which is comics. Not a whole lot talking about uh, comic books this week, but uh, Mark Miller... Is it Mark Millar or Mark Miller? Is he Miller with an A or is he Millar? Fuck. Take a drink. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to go back and figure this out. Um, yeah, he's one of those guys in comics who's just always dishing out new stories. He's always got something new. He's he's never resting on his laurels. I'll give him that much. I don't always dig the tone of his writing. Uh, sometimes... He feels just a little too mean-spirited, a little bit too cynical for me. I loved uh, Superman Red Sun. That was his, wasn't it? That's like my favorite Superman story, I gotta admit. But, uh, you know, his other stuff, Wanted, Kick-Ass, they're just a touch too extreme for me. Like, real, like, oh man, we're on the, e- the bleeding edge! <sighs> You know, very, very much feels like a bong rip kind of story. Like, the kind of stuff It's like, Man, this is so extreme! This guy's gonna, like... He's gonna rape this lady, and then they're gonna shoot bullets into his dick! Like, it, it feels like that, right? It feels like the kind of shit that you made up in your dorm when you were, like, three sheets. Anyway, but this doesn't. Uh, this is some new news. Uh, Mark Miller... Millar... Miller... Miller... Whatever. Mark... And his buddy, uh, Frank Quietly. There's another name I can't pronounce. It's it's not Quietly. It's Quietly. Or Quitly. I don't know. Mark and Frank. <laughs> Those guys. Mark and Frank down the hall. Uh, they have a new six-issue miniseries coming out in March that they are doing through Image Comics. Uh, that was announced. It's called The Ambassadors. And the premise, as he told it, it's kind of interesting to me. Basically, the way he described it is, hey, look, superheroes have always felt like a primarily American thing, right? Like, the traditional, like, capes and tights superheroes always felt like a fictional extrapolation of our America's sense of rugged individualism and exceptionalism or something like that. I mean, look at The Incredibles, right? That's kind of what those movies are all about, is exceptionalism and rugged American individualism, cowboyism, basically. Cowboys are what we had before we had superheroes. But what if the superpower genome was cracked on the other side of the world in, say, a lab in Asia? And that's actually, from a realism standpoint, it's way more likely that it would be, rather than in the U.S., We would be basically, the US would be sitting dumbfounded watching the future happen on the other side of the planet, much like we did when the Soviets sent the first satellite and the first human being into orbit before we could even figure out how rockets worked, right? But hey, add to that uh, as part of this story, what if this genius Korean scientist who figured out how to give people superpowers also pulled kind of a Willy Wonka and had people compete for the chance to be one of the blessed few granted superpowers through this technology. So the tagline for the Ambassadors reads, 8 billion people, 6 can have superpowers, who do you choose? So, yeah, I mean kind of playing with the idea of who deserves the gift of superpowers, who would use it the best, how would you prove your worth if you were one of the people given it. Uh, very interesting, kind of a, a cool kind of cerebral uh, approach to the superhero genre, and I, I kind of like that, I'm intrigued. Um, yeah, that one's coming out, like I said, issue number one is coming in March, and the preview art that dropped for it looks very on-brand for a story from from uh, Mark Miller. The the textures, the colors are kind of muted or minimal, which really brings out the striking amount of gore and violence. There's one panel of just like head, like people whose heads have been popped, you know, presumably with mind bullets or something like that. Uh, very very violent-looking book. Uh, not for kids. A lot of majestic sweeping splash pages, too, uh, very much playing with scale, showing, like, superpowered people and their abilities in terms of the scale of it. Like, uh, two of them stand on a satellite in orbit and have a conversation. There's one image of, like, a gigantic man sitting on a beach in what looks like the aftermath of a big confrontation or something like that, people running away. It's very operatic and huge looking. So, yeah, uh, seems like a very cool read, very cool art. Uh, I'm putting this one on my list for uh, uh, future reads a few months, few months from now. I think it, it might be uh one of his better stories of the last couple of years. Honestly, uh, I'm into it. So yeah, uh, other other than that, um, uh, got got. TV news is what we've got next. This isn't really a TV news thing Uh so much as it's just a general showbiz story. I put it in TV because the big the big name that's checked on the reports of what's going on with this news story, TV staple. So uh if you're like me, you stepped back in abject shock and alarm at the amount of NFT shit that was bubbling around during 2021, especially It was everywhere. NFTs took over pop culture everywhere. It was on social media. It was on your television. There were, uh, you know, suddenly uh, Matt Damon was on your TV screen telling you to be bold and put your money in crypto. And he wouldn't be wrong. He was Will Hunting. He's a smart man. Uh, (laughs) And yeah, yeah. Just, like, all your favorite or maybe your not-so-favorite celebrities were shilling this stupid fad finance bullshit. Uh, It felt a lot like Beanie Babies to me, or Pokemon cards in the late 90s. Remember on The Sopranos in, like, Season 1, when they have, like, a Pokemon card joke where he's like, I got a great idea for for our next scheme. We're gonna knock over a truck of Pokemon cards. Uh, (laughs) I... the whole concept of purchasing things on spec with the idea that their value would go up just on the basis of demand or artificial value inflation uh look i'm not a smart man especially with money don't ask me for money advice but the second someone explained to me like i was a child what nfts actually were and what made them valuable i knew it wasn't a good thing i knew it wasn't for me and i'm not saying that to be braggadocious or anything I just, there was some synapse that wasn't firing, I couldn't quite jibe with how so many people could decide to put ungodly amounts of money, money I've never seen in my life before, six figures or more, into something that sounds so obviously like a hustle, a scam, especially some celebrities who have demonstrated in the past that they're not very dumb business-wise. Well, anyways, those celebrities, um, uh, just to name a few, Gwyneth Paltrow, who, hey, you like her or or not, you can't deny that she's built a friggin' huge second wind uh, professionally off of her empire of goop shit, goop products, Uh, Madonna, Justin Bieber, and the big one uh, that was basically why I put this in TV, Jimmy Fallon, just to name a few, those are just a couple of names have been sued in a class-action suit filed for shilling NFTs during that very brief and very modest gold rush. Uh, specifically, NFTs from the... Uh, the Bored Ape Yacht Club, or B-A-Y-C. Ugh, I feel like I have to take a shower just saying the phrase Bored Ape Yacht Club. But you might remember... If you follow late night talk show shit at all, Jimmy Fallon had some guy on, some like digital artist talking about NFTs, trying to trying to get the word out on what NFTs are and why they might be a great thing for you and your family. And Jimmy bought his first NFT and he talked about it, and he bought one of those shitty ape pictures. And Jimmy also, during that segment, name checks Moon Pay. What's Moon Pay? Well, as Jimmy put it in that segment, it's like PayPal for crypto. Those were his words. It's like PayPal for crypto, which sounds like fun, right? I don't know what PayPal and crypto are, but it sounds like fun. Sounds like the future to me, ma. Uh, (laughs) But what Jimmy didn't point out is that he also might have been paid either in crypto or in NFTs or some financial stake in MoonPay to plug it on his live television show to his very large audience and the other celebrities named in the suit have that in common with him they were all compensated in some way for promoting that company that handled a lot pretty much all of the transactions for the board ape yacht club so every board ape that you saw get sold during that weird ass you know gold rush fool's gold rush if it, if you will Um, this company MoonPay was the, was the middleman of all of those transactions. They were the PayPal for all of that blockchain shit. Um, (laughs) and if I'm misusing those terms, who gives a fuck? Because none of it means anything. It's all a scam. It's all a dodge. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm getting a little fired up about it, but yeah, they were all compensated for promoting MoonPay and did not mention it in their glowing evaluations of how the completely phony, baloney transactions for ugly as shit digital art were going for them. I think it's pretty funny. <laughs> I, I doubt much will come from this lawsuit. I'm sure. I'm sure Jimmy Fallon's not going broke, uh, or any of the other people that I named. Uh, yeah, but it's nice to know. That famous, already obscenely rich people are being inconvenienced and lightly shamed for participating in a grift which mostly serves as a convenient way to co or launder funds for high-end techno-cretins and crooks. That's basically what blockchain and crypto and all that shit essentially is. It's just, you know, it, it, it's a convenient way to digitize your money and shift it around a little bit so that... Maybe you don't know where it all came from in the first place. It's, 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 it's a money laundering scam for some, for some people. It just is. Uh, And I'm sure I might be losing a brace of listeners for coming out this hard against crypto and blockchain and all that shit. Uh, But sorry, it, it seems dumb to me. It all seems dumb, but it's very funny if all of those people were paid in crypto or NFTs Because that means they're being sued and they didn't even make any profit off of it because the crypto and NFT markets are firmly in the sewers right now. But yeah, celebrities who hawked crypto and NFTs deserve to be mocked, in my opinion. Don't be afraid to punch up at a rich person who used their clout and their persona and their good name to try and sell you the Brooklyn Bridge, because that's basically what it amounts to. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Let me climb down off of my high horse for a second so we can talk about uh, some actual TV news. In the TV world, the other thing that happened this last week, I did mention some weeks ago, Trevor Noah was leaving The Daily Show. He did this week. Uh, Thursday, he did his final show. It was very classy farewell by all accounts, very kind of teary-eyed, like, hey, you know, thank everybody so much for being there with me. Um, not just for him, but for the correspondents as well. It was kind of a farewell for them, which speaks to the idea that they're probably going to revamp the show a lot, uh, in his absence, uh, when the show does come back January 17th, they have announced that it'll be given kind of a revolving host slot to some big comedy names to, to, you know, fill that void, uh, names like Chelsea Handler, uh, DL Hewley, Leslie Jones, John Leguizamo, Cal Penn, uh, Sarah Silverman, Wanda Sykes. These are all pretty big names uh, to fill in at the desk for Daily Show. Um, <clears throat> Al Franken. <laughs> that one's not, maybe not the greatest uh, idea. Al Franken. Um, Marlon Wayans. And, and former uh, correspondent of the Daily Show, Hasan Minhaj. So... Yeah, um, after that, after the the round of temporary uh, guest hosts, it looks like they may be eyeing some of the former correspondents for the hosting gig. We mentioned uh, Roy Wood Jr. is probably at the top of that list. Or possibly, this is the other option, is they might change to a format um, to have multiple regular hosts, like kind of a revolving door thing which seems to be a new trend. Like, you remember with Jeopardy, they really didn't want to definitively pick one person to take the hosting podium after Alex Trebek. So they wanted to fart around with, well, we can have this person do it on regular episodes, and then we can bring in this one for tournaments and sweeps week and, you know, all of that stuff. What it boils down to is the production company and the network are skittish about replacing someone at such a hallowed spot on their schedule. Daily Show's been around for a long-ass time now in Comedy Central world. So, not for nothing, when Trevor Noah came in to replace Jon Stewart, there was a sizable backlash. You know, it took a good year or two before the audience kind of came back to the show and accepted him as the host. Some didn't at all, actually. And I'll be the first to admit, yeah, Trevor Noah did not exactly live up to the standards of his predecessor. I'm not a big Jon Stewart stan or anything, uh if The Daily Show does live on, though, through this awkward transition period to another much-beloved golden age, this is Trevor Noah's tenure is probably going to be considered a sophomore slump for the show. That's the sad truth. But T- Trevor Noah will be doing just fine. Don't worry about Trevor Noah. He has his big old contract he signed with Netflix that we talked about last time we talked about this. Netflix, the place that signs Trevor Noah, but also signs Dave Chappelle and Jerry Seinfeld and a bunch of other comedians who are not so cool. So yeah, as someone posted on my feed earlier this week, Trevor Noah, rest easy after a job done. (laughs) A a job done. Anyway, um, on that kind of snarky note from an absolute nobody to a very famous uh, person. Uh, <laughs> that's my show for this week. Thank you for tuning in and hanging out as always. Look out for that bonus episode I mentioned where my buddy Gus and I go to the library and recommend some stuff to each other. It's very fun, very uh, very uh, outside our wheelhouse for both of us. And don't forget to email your own news tips and recommendations to mediasandwichshow at gmail.com or on Twitter at Media underscore Sandwich. And hey, if you're looking to do a good deed for this gingerbread man you're listening to, please rate and review the podcast wherever you listen. I'd greatly appreciate it. And you know, until next week, I am Kyle Martinak and uh, I'm gonna go get a sandwich.